Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Evangel this morning. Uh, whether you are here in person or you're online, it's great that you've decided to join uh, with us this morning on this Family Day weekend. Um, I wanted to highlight we've got a youth band helping out up here on stage featured. Um, super excited for that. But as we go into worship, why don't you stand if you're able and we're going to sing these songs of praise to God. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me and worthy is the lamb who was slain Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross 
you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me great is your faithfulness oh God You wrestle with the sinner's restless heart You lead us by still waters into mercy And nothing can keep us apart So remember your people Remember your children remember your promise oh god your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me great is your love and justice god of jacob you use the weak to lead the strong you lead us in the song of your salvation and all your people sing along so remember your people remember your children remember your promise oh god your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me oh your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me so remember your people remember your children remember your promise oh god your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me oh your grace is enough heaven reaches out for us your grace is enough for me oh god i sing your grace is enough i'm covered in your love your grace is enough for me, for me. Amen. Good morning. Is that your testimony this morning? His grace is enough? Because I have bad news. If it isn't, there isn't anything else. <laughs> that's it. That's, his, that's, that's it. That's the thing right there. Why don't you greet one another before you're seated this morning? 
Thank you. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Evangel this morning. For those of you who are here in person, we are delighted that you're here. And I see Stelma. Stelma loves being pointed out, but I see Stelma. Welcome, Stelma. We've missed you. And I know you've missed us too, because you've told me that many times in the last number of weeks. Great to have you back with us this morning. And for those of you who have joined us online, we welcome you too. And uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. If this is the first time that you've been at Evangel or you haven't been here in a very, very long time, we want to extend an extra special welcome to you. And if we can come alongside and assist you, please uh, let us know. And you can do that by filling out the connection card that you'll find in the pew pocket in front of you. If you'd leave that at the welcome desk at the end of the service in the foyer, someone will be there to meet you and they have a small gift there for you as well. And we're just delighted that you're here and we can help you in any way that we can. I do have a number of announcements this morning. I just want to remind you that our annual business meeting will take place on Sunday, March 26th at 11.30 a.m. Just to give us some time to end the service and uh, get some things together and then we'll have our annual business meeting at 11.30. So just keep that in mind. And uh, for those of you who are members, you have the opportunity to participate in that meeting. If you're not a member, you're still welcome to stay and observe, and uh, we would love to have you do that as well. In light of our annual business meeting, our, our nominations are now open for uh, the two positions on our, our, uh, our admin council that are becoming vacant as of the annual business meeting. Every year, two people rotate off, two new people go on. And an email went out to those of you who are members that have emails on uh, record with us. And uh, you can just click the link there and do it simply that way. But you can also do it in the foyer after the service today. And for those of you who aren't using the email, you can do it here as well. If you go to the foyer on the bulletin board, you'll see a list of eligible members. You'll also see a list of qualifications. And at the kiosk at the back, you'll notice there's a pen a black box and some nomination forms. You can just fill one of those out clearly and fold it, put it in the box, and uh, we'll make sure it gets to its proper place. Next Sunday will be the final day to submit nominations, so if you intend to nominate, which I hope you do, uh, please make sure you move on that as quickly as possible. This coming Friday evening will be the perfect peace event, and I see by the overflow and the foyer coat area that you've been bringing in things, and so just want to remind you that this is the last Sunday to bring in things. Please do not bring them next Sunday, because the event will be over, but uh, if you still want to bring some items in, uh, you can do that, and I would suggest that maybe you, during the week, if you just call and make sure uh, that someone is here, because sometimes... Uh, people step out of the office, and you may come right at that time. And uh, so just make sure someone's going to be here if you want to drop that off. But uh, this week on Friday, we'll be praying for that event for perfect peace as well. Next Sunday will be our brunch, and we've been announcing that for a couple of weeks now. And so our brunch is, uh, you, we're asking you to sign up if you intend to come. We are not collecting money in advance. Uh, we're just asking you to make a $5 suggested donation per person. Children 10 and under are free. And, um, and you can just leave that up in Stewart Hall at the time of the, of the brunch next Sunday. There will be a place there where for you to drop that. 
but we do need you to sign up, and today is the deadline for that because we need to know how much food to purchase so that we can be prepared for that um, next week. And if you are planning to not attend the brunch uh, or that you want to be able to give that money ahead of time, uh, please don't put it in the offering. Just leave it at the information desk with the, with the person that's working there because this is not a receiptable donation item. And so uh, if you could just leave whatever you want to give there instead of putting it through the offering, that'll just keep things a lot simpler. So thank you for that. And today is the last day to sign up, so make sure you do it. I'm going to invite our ushers to receive the morning tithes and offerings. You can give at, uh, electronically, giving at epcoakville.com. And our kids and volunteers will make their way over to the side here. And we have nursery, newborn up to age three. You can go there anytime. And kids age four up to grade five, you are free to go now as well. God bless you and uh, enjoy the rest of the morning. Thousand stories of what think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers far and wide but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say over you're a good Father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good Father, it's who you are, it's who you are. Who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, 
You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, why don't you stand as we continue to worship? Love so undeniable, I I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I. I can hardly think as you call me Deeper still as you call me Deeper still as you call me Deeper still into love Love, love You're a good, good Father It's who you are who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. To who I am, to who I am. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. 
I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart And I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it When it's all about you When it's all about you, Jesus Oh, King of endless worth No one could express How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. And I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart Now I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you Yes, it's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it When it's all about you Oh, all about you, Jesus I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you I'm sorry, Lord, thing I made it. It's all about you. It's all about you, continue this morning, we're, we're going to sing a, a song that uh, might be a little more unfamiliar, uh, but it's very simple. The chorus simply goes, we give you the highest praise. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. 
We give you the highest praise. You deserve it all. You deserve it all. It's very simple, but but it's quite powerful that we could declare that 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 over everything that God gets the most praise. That that He alone gets gets our praise, and and that not only that, but He deserves all of it. That it's not just that we sing these songs and He's worthy of of the song or the words that we're singing. But he's worthy of, of our lives in every aspect in how we worship him and how we declare his glory. That not only does he deserve all of that, all of the worship in every area, but, but that he he deserves that, that he is worthy of that, that he he warrants that. That we should be more than happy to, to give our lives and give every part of us as worship unto him. And even as we declare this, and maybe you don't know the words, but but even just reflect on that, on what that really means, maybe even in your own life, to to worship God with with everything that you have. Even, Even as we do sing, would we declare that and know that we can worship him and we can praise him because he deserves it and he is worthy of our praises. You deserve it all, and 
That's our prayer this morning. Lord, we declare in faith that even if our heart isn't there, Lord, we, we declare it would faith arise in our hearts and in our lives today that, that we know that you deserve all our praise in every circumstance, in every situation, both in good times and bad. Lord, you deserve all of our praise. You're worthy of our praise. Jesus would be, be reminded of that today. And as each and every person has come with their own circumstances and their own unique situation in life, God, would, would we all be able to declare that you deserve it all, that you are faithful. So God, thank you for that, that promise, that, that reminder that you are above all. And God, as we, we continue to worship this morning, as we, as we receive a word from you through Pastor Scott and as he's prepared, Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning that, that as we know you are here and so would you just continue to move in this place? Lord, would your spirit move in our hearts? 
But as we hear your word today, would we be encouraged? Would we be challenged? Would we learn something new that whatever it is you might have for us today, Lord, would we receive that with our hands open, ready to receive, ready to, to let go of whatever's in the way of receiving this morning, that, that we are attentive, that our hearts are set on you this morning. So again, be with Pastor Scott as he, as he brings the word this morning. Would you speak through him? Would you speak to us this morning? We just thank you for, for the amazing honor that we have to be able to glorify and to praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture today is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll be reading from verses 4 to 9. And it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thank you, church. You may be seated. And thank you, Andrew and team, for leading us today. Many of the people you saw on stage helping lead worship this morning uh, serve weekly or monthly on our youth or young adult worship teams, and so to see them up here this morning and serving in that regard, uh, well, to say I'm proud is, is an understatement. Being a father of two amazing little girls, I know there is very little I wouldn't try to do to make them happy. I saw this documentary, or clips of it rather, many years ago called Born Rich, and it's a documentary that talks to heirs of billion-dollar fortunes, right? And how the money impacted their lives in positive or negative ways. And it was made popular due to the fact that it was made by someone who was the heir of the Johnson & Johnson fortune. Literally was handed all the money in the world and didn't have to do a single thing for it. And I got thinking about these interviews detailing the extravagant lifestyle of these billionaires' children. And in those moments... Right? It's hard not to want that in some form because of the thought that I would never be able to give my daughters that kind of wealth. It became a problem of envy in some ways because those parents were able to provide more than I ever could. But it was in reading a book in college called Think Orange by Reggie Joyner and rereading it actually in preparation for the message today that he wrote something that changed my perspective forever. He said, most parents or guardians can't give their children a lavish inheritance. But every parent or guardian will leave a personal legacy. Here's the truth I have found in my journey the past few years of becoming a parent. A lot of parenting books, especially faith-based ones, start with the premise that there is an ideal mom and dad. These super parents conduct morning devotions, pray together every night, play contemporary Christian music, hang Bible verses on their walls at home. You get the idea. But the problem is, that just isn't true. In fact, I don't find a lot of good parenting examples in the Bible. Now, the Bible certainly lends great advice about parenting, and there are so many principles from it that we should apply as parents, but you may have a hard time convincing me that Noah and David were perfect parents. Now, Adam and Eve might have been a close second, but, you know, the downfall of the whole human race and subsequently raising one son to kill the other— uh, situation kind of steps in there. So my point is this. Parenting is hard. 
Parenting is hard. If you aren't a parent now, you have parents who raised you that you can look back on. Maybe you will be a parent one day. Families are messy and even dysfunctional at times. Anyone who claims to have discovered the secret to parenting either just had their first baby or recently graduated from Bible college with a degree in youth ministry. I can say that because I've done both. But if there's one thing I want to impress on you today, it's this. That God can use family to tell his story. If you need proof, look no further than the passages of Scripture that detail various lineages. I know, the most riveting stuff you can read in the Bible, but they do go to show the faithfulness of God through generations of families. The concept of family has gone as far as to shape the very fabric of civilization up to this point. Family is important, and it's an important part of life in the church as well. As much as we think ministry happens in and through a church, it should be happening even more in the home. As a youth and young adults pastor, if you have students or young people attending our programs here, I see them usually two to three times a week. And within that, that maybe only amounts to maybe a maximum of seven hours within the week. Whereas the family is together throughout the week and has ample opportunity to reinforce the teachings of Jesus in the home. Faith and family go hand in hand. And what we see in our text today is Moses reaching the end of his leadership and about to pass the torch on to Joshua and giving his farewell address regarding important issues for Israel's future. Specifically, Moses was intent on touching on the subject of how people would pass on their faith to their children and later generations. Too much was at stake to let this opportunity pass by, and so he gave them a game plan to guard their heritage and pass their faith on to following generations. These verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6 are some of the most referenced by churches and congregations when talking about the matter of family and its importance. And for good reason, too. Moses is speaking to an entire nation and charging everyone to be responsible for how the next generation is to be raised up. And although we can't assume that the context of the family was anything close to how it is now, there are some important principles in this passage that transcends culture. And so our first point, if you're taking notes this morning, is a valuable reminder. It really is amazing to me how applicable the words spoken thousands of years ago are to families today, and that is no more true than in the group of verses we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in the very first verse of our passage today, Moses gives a frame of reference for everything that came before and everything that is to follow, that the Lord alone is God. That if we don't start with God, we may end up in the wrong place. It's all about him. It's not really about rulers or kings. It's not really about the church. It's not really even about family. It's all about our Heavenly Father, the cornerstone of our faith. That's where we need to begin. Because if we begin with him, then we have a firm foundation for everything else in our lives, including family. Since Moses' time, those who live in the Hebrew community recite something called the Shema twice a day. And the Shema is a basic credo and cornerstone of the Jewish faith. And what it translates to is the idea of hearing and responding to what you hear. Now, the Bible translation I read from this morning used the word listen in place of the word hear, but the context is the same. It's not just a passive hearing or listening that is being said either. In fact, the Shema prayer was so influential and important that Jesus used it as the beginning of his answer to what is the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. 
which says, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Even today, we can look to the words of the Shema as a wonderful expression that the Lord is the one true God. As we acknowledge him with all, and, and as we acknowledge him rather in his lordship, our response remains to hear him, to love him with all of our heart, soul, and might, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the point of Moses sharing this wasn't because he was concerned that people would lose their faith in God over time. He was warning them about the risk of losing their focus and shifting their priorities. The power of the Shema is that it establishes God as the central character in, of a story that connects every generation, every parent, every child, every family to God's goodness. Practically speaking, when families intentionally embrace the truth that God is who he says he is, the easier it is to focus their priorities on what matters most. Later on in our verses, we read about how the people are called to hang the Shema on their doors as a visual reminder of God's role in their daily lives. It is meant to always be there to help realign the family's value system. The practice is not designed to add pressure, pressure or stress to the home or the role of the parent, but it's there to help keep perspective. When you remind yourself frequently that God is God, he is who he says he is, it doesn't cause you to stress more, it causes you to trust more. Every family has an opportunity to create a physical environment that is leveraged by the reminder that the Lord our God is one. And I'm not saying you need to go home after church and hang a sign on your doorpost. Yes, it, that is something that is done, but there can be other ways to remind ourselves and our families to set our sights on God, on who he is and his goodness to us. See, every family system is unique, and what works for mine might not work for yours. But that valuable reminder that the Shema brings us is important because of the nature of our faith. It is spiritual, meaning it cannot be seen, touched, or felt. What can be seen, touched, or felt sometimes overwhelms our attention. Therefore, we must make a conscious effort to remind ourselves that there is a bigger story for us, a bigger story for our families, and God is at the center of it. And in that story, there will be times where we are in a situation or crisis where we don't get a clear revelation on what we're supposed to to do many times. In fact, when there is a crisis, there are no simple solutions, clear paths to take, or easy press of a button fixes. There is just God. Kind of like the song we sang this morning, when all is stripped away, Lord, I simply come. When all is, we have is stripped away, the Lord is still God. And the Shema is important for the very reason that it brings the source of our hope back into focus. That no matter what I'm facing, or my kids are facing, or my spouse is facing, or my parents are facing, or my family is facing, God is still God. And because of that, I can trust in him still. But the question will naturally arise, why? Why would I need this reminder for my home, for my family, or for my kids? What good will remembering that God is still God actually do? So uh, we're in the stage of life now where Lucy, our oldest daughter, is asking the question, why? To literally everything we say to her. And when we answer her question, she'll ask why. 
right? She wants to get the, to, down to the root of it. And, and, and you may hear this and think that is great as someone who is listening and wants to learn and is growing up. But I got to say, when you hit that stage of parenting, being asked why 10 times in a row can be a test of patience, right? Like it can start with something as simple as a conversation about bedtime. Lucy, it is time for bed. Why? Because the sun is down. Why? Because the sun sets at night. Why? Because the earth rotates around the sun. Why? Because God made it that way. Why? Because God is God. Just go to bed. And when it comes to answering the question of why, in the context of trusting that God is God alone, I like where Moses takes this, the next verse. A call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Because remember, the purpose of the Shema is not simply just to hear, but it's to hear and respond. So the people hear that the Lord is God, and they respond by loving God with everything. The principle of legacy is connected to a quality of genuine love. Anytime you pass down rules or practices or truths outside of a context of genuine and compelling love that God has for each and every member of his creation, we are passing down something that is ultimately hollow. What Moses does here is he draws a circle around the entire belief system of his people and it centers around loving God. And the context of this is amazing when you think about it. Before our scripture this morning, you have the wilderness and the Israelite people there for 40 years. Ahead, you have the promised land. And it's as if Moses is saying, God is doing what he has promised you, right? And so now you know that you can trust him and love him as the God who is faithful throughout generations. He connects the past chapters of their heritage with the future, with the, with the pivotal statement to love God with everything. The point that echoes across generations here is that God will always fight for the hearts of his people. Moses says to love the Lord your God and to commit to, uh, uh, to these commandments on your heart because he is setting up the population of Israel to understand how to pass their faith to the next generation. He establishes God as the cornerstone of identity and issues the challenge to pursue a loving relationship with God as the basis for how they live. They are to make then to make sure they don't miss the nature of of their legacy, reminds the Israelites that these things need to be in their hearts before they can hand them off to their children. So our second point this morning, a purposeful rhythm. The next portion of our passage is focused on rhythm. In the first, if the first half, rather, was about teaching us to commit ourselves to knowing and trusting in God alone as Lord, this half is teaching us how to go about passing these values and teachings onto the next generation. In some ways, actually, what Moses says here probably has more meaning for us today than it did for the Israelites in that crowd. And I'm sure some of the parents and families in that crowd were thinking, wait, I'm already doing what you are saying. I've been talking with my family in the morning and through, through the day and at night, and it's not like they had many distractions as we do today. You know, they had reminders of God's presence with them literally all around them every single day. There was the manna to eat that they depended on, depended on every day. The cloud of smoke that hovered over them to lead the way during the day and the pillar of fire that was there every night when they went to sleep. These were a people with a God who was present in their everyday experience. You know, there were no fast food restaurants, no iPhones, no hockey, no video games, no TikTok, no Starbucks. I mean, they really needed God, right? And he was obviously there with them. But Moses, I believe, was aware that the current existence that they had would not be their future reality. 
Once the Israelites reached the land of Canaan, families would have, to be, would have to start being more conscious about creating a rhythm that passed down an everyday faith, more deliberate about establishing visual reminders about God's power and presence, and more creative in how and when God's story was told. What was instinctive for the Israelite family in the past has to become more intentional for the family in its future once they reach that promised land. And reading this, it's almost like there was this anxiety that Moses had that one day society might view God as only a small part of culture and life. I'm sure many of us have had that same concern regarding our own children, our our students, our parents, our brothers and sisters, that God would somehow be forgotten and the faith of a generation would die. Don't get me wrong, these are legitimate concerns but you don't read Moses saying to the Israelites, you know, for, for the sake of our kids' faith, let's just stay in the wilderness. Right? Instead, what he handed them is a game plan that would help keep faith alive despite the change in culture and the change in their circumstances. Even today, the culture around us is shifting and evolving, and parents and families have the toughest job of trying to keep up and adapt to the reality of, or, that's around them. The role of the family was being strategically placed as the primary platform to display God's message of restoration to the hearts of every generation that followed, and that is so true for the role of the family today. So what does this game plan look like? Well, if we look at these verses one at a time, you'll see some times and patterns that Moses highlights as opportunities for teaching. Starting in verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home. And when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. As a parent of a three-year-old and almost a three-month-old, right, it is so important to establish how life naturally happens. It's about creating a rhythm that works for your family. It's about how we put our newborn on a schedule for sleeping and eating, because Lord knows our kids need an established bedtime for the sake of our own sanity. And so I ask us to consider the following ideas Moses presents in how to create a rhythm in establishing the family as the primary place where God's message is displayed. When you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up, the opportunities Moses speaks of here asks for a consistency in the everyday life of a household. It's about being purposeful and creative in how families reinforce the life and teachings of Jesus in the home with such an intentionality, right, that it reflects their own heart for God. The uniqueness of each family cannot be understated here, and what works for one, again, may not work for the other, but the consistency, it's about the consistency, the consistency in which we work with those in our family units to grow in faith will work towards the goal of trying to establish a legacy of faith for generations to follow. And on that note of consistency, Moses continues by saying these things which we have been taught should also be as near as our hand or our forehead, as close to us as our doorposts and gates. By the time of Jesus, the Jewish people had a practice that I won't try to pronounce because I will butcher it, based on this passage. It was a practice where they had small boxes and pieces of paper inside that had scriptures written on the pieces of paper. And, and uh, they held them to their forehead or, or to ha- their hands with leather straps. And Jesus actually command, or condemned rather, the usage of these by the Pharisees, who would make their boxes so large so that they can draw more attention and make themselves seem more spiritual because of the position that they held. Now again, this isn't about making yourself seem more spiritual for the sake of it. But it's about creating a rhythm for your home and your family. It's, not, it's about not letting these other things that can distract us take away from establishing and simply talking about our faith with our kids and with our family members. 
It's not about just leading Bible studies in our home with our kids and calling it a day. Referring back to that book I mentioned at the start of the sermon by Reggie Joyner, there's this amazing chart in there that kind of breaks down each of these moments Moses speaks of and shows us the role that parents can undertake and each one suggests a different style of learning. And it's almost as if Moses was an expert in in human behavior. And I'm not going to go through all of these just for the sake of time. But for example, getting up in the morning is one of them. It's a blank page for the family to start fresh. Just a few encouraging words carefully spoken can instill a sense of value and purpose. And it's like parents become the coaches sending their kids into an important game, saying something to give them the fuel that they need to face whatever the day has for them. If families take advantage of the times that are already built into their routine, the effort to establish something like this would be minimal and the return could potentially be enormous. What Moses is trying to do for the Israelites he's speaking to, and that still applies to us today, is give families an opportunity to establish their faith and relationships as a purposeful rhythm. Our final point, which will also act as our application this morning, a beautiful partnership. At this point, I want to add that everything I have said is said as generally as possible because I know that every family is different. I know every home faces its own struggles. No two households are the same in what they face, in what the parents face, in what the kids face. Some of us don't have kids. Some of us come from single-parent homes. There are families in crisis, and there are parents and kids that face impossible and painful circumstances. In the U.S. alone, for example, divorce still affects a high percentage of marriages every single year. Nearly a million children are abused every single year, the second highest cause of death for teenagers, and this, is the, this stat specifically is actually the same in Canada, is suicide. One-third of single parents live below the poverty line, and even today, many families are experiencing and suffering the effects of increasing costs. One in three women have experienced domestic violence. See, there's this reality that many individuals and families face that breaks my heart every time I hear about them or walk a student through what's been happening at home. And so I speak this morning to the general family unit and individuals because I believe that amazing things can truly happen when the values of the family and the values of the church are intertwined. Because at the end of the day, that should be the goal for us as a church community and not, and rather as individual households and families. And believe it or not, the family and the church actually function very similarly. They both exist because God initiated them. They both exist because God desires to use them to demonstrate his plan of redemption and restoration. If they work together, they can potentially make a greater impact than if they work alone. Too much is at stake for either one to fail. The truth is that God has designed the church to shine a light to show every generation the glory of God's Son. And that God has designed the family to nurture the hearts of a generation to love God. They are both the primary influences designed by God for a purpose. And many of us know that both the church and the family are comprised of imperfect people. And boy, would many of us love to call out some of those imperfect people sometimes in both. But that's why God has a plan to use both as a platform to tell his story of love and redemption to the world. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a reminder of who God is and all that he has done. And the amazing opportunity that we now have to respond to him with love.
It's a reminder to tell God's story well to all people and especially to the next generation. It gives parents an opportunity to reflect and examine what we are doing to establish a legacy of faith to our children and our grandchildren. It gives church leaders and ministry volunteers an opportunity to evaluate how we are telling his story to families or how we are partnering with families in order for both to be transformed by his wonderful grace. For just one moment, I want us to look back on the very first words of our text, the very, very first words. It says, Hear, O Israel. See, when speaking this message, Moses, he wasn't just talking to parents as much value as this passage does have for parents in particular. He wasn't just talking to religious leaders. He was talking to the entire nation. We can read in chapter 5 that Moses gathered the entire nation of Israel to speak his message to. And the culture of the Israelites was that of a community. So not only were the parents listening, but so were other family members, leaders, friends, partners, and the like. The family unit was not always as neatly defined as some may think. And so there was this multi-generational support for parents and families in that community. There were tribes of families in relationship with other tribes of families who believed in the role of the family as a place to nurture the hearts of a generation to follow God. Now that said, society has very much changed since then. But I want to suggest that maybe the principle in some ways can still be the same. Parents, you are not working alone in your effort, nor should you be alone. And that's where I believe the church as a whole should be excelling in ways where many churches throughout history in being the support for families and teenagers and kids haven't been and helping widen the circle of influence for families in need of support. It's about a community of faith that can support and uplift you and the family as a whole. For teens in particular and young people, this is so important. And I want every young person hearing my voice, whether here or online, to know that you are invaluable as part of this church. You have a community of people who will always have your backs, always cheer you on, always support you, mentor you, and help you navigate your deepest questions about life and faith. That's why our youth leaders do what we do every week and give our time because our hearts are for you. And for parents, I want you to know that also that this church is a safe place for your family. A safe place for your kids to learn and grow in like-minded community. In a culture where community is not automatic and role models are limited, church and family must work together to allow the next generation to grow and thrive in faith. The church is for you, parents. The church is for you, young people. The church and the family are created to thrive in this beautiful partnership as we work to live out the love of God in our lives and show the very same love with the generations to follow. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. What I want to bring it back to as we close off the service now is the Shema. To hear that the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, we can talk about the purpose of church and the purpose of family all day. And quite frankly, I could go a lot deeper than this. But if it's, it's all for nothing, if it isn't done with God at the center of our efforts, the center of our church, our families, and our faith. 
God is the central character of a story that connects every generation, every parent, every child, every family to his goodness. And practically speaking, when families begin to intentionally embrace the truth that God is who he says he is, the easier it becomes to focus their priorities on what matters the most. So as we enter into this one last time of worship to close off the service, I encourage you that our hope, our truth, our peace, and our firm foundation is in Christ alone. No family is perfect. No church is perfect. But we serve a God who is and who works in this world to redeem imperfect people for the work of sharing his story of faith to to generations to come. So I invite you to stand as we worship together this morning. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled with striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless space. This gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones He came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Off from the grave he rose again And as he sends in victory Since curse has lost its grip on me For I am his and he is mine Bought with the precious blood of Christ guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, 
No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. to a time of prayer this morning. We just want to announce a few details regarding the passing of Phil Sameo's father. The visitation is happening at Glen Oaks Funeral Home on Tuesday from 2 to 4 and from 6 to 8, and the funeral will be Wednesday at 11 a.m. at Glen Oaks as well. So we're lifting up the Sameo family this morning in prayer, as well as a few other needs in our congregation. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for how good you are and for how much you love us. Thank you that you bring together imperfect people in your perfect love. God, that you call generations to you, that you are at the center of every story. And so, God, we worship you as our Heavenly Father who knows our needs. And God, as we lift up the needs of our congregation, we think of those who who have unspoken needs as well, whether within their home, whether within their families. Jesus, I ask for your perfect peace to surround and comfort those who need you. And God, we lift up the Sameo family to you as they mourn the loss of Phil's dad. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit surrounds them in these days leading up to, to the funeral and in the days past as, as, as they mourn, as they celebrate his life and look back on memories of him. God, I just ask that you be with them through all the details and through one another, God. May, may you work through each of them to support and uplift the family as a whole during this trying time. God, we also lift up Ray Chan, who is in the hospital. Lord Jesus, I pray for your peace and your Holy Spirit to be with him in the hospital bed right now, Lord Jesus. And God, that you guide all the nurses taking care of him, all the doctors who are seeing him. God, you be with the family as they are navigating uh, this situation. And God, may they be able to trust and rely on you in these days. God, we also lift up James Cornelius, who has just moved to a long-term care home. Lord, I pray for him. I pray for, for his heart, his body, his mind, Lord Jesus. I pray that your spirit is with him in this new environment. God, that you give him uh, just strength to adjust to where he is now in his new location. And God, in all things, we honor you. God, we love you and we pray for the week ahead. Lord, may all of us go and be safe and come back next week expectant for the things that you will do because you are Lord and we know that you are who you say you are. We trust in you as God alone and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless. Before you go, just if, if you have a tax receipt from 2022, please see Pastor Jenna at the desk, at the information desk. You can pick it up there on your way out. Otherwise, God bless. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.